a great student at anything. So all of those things. And then there were a lot of things which were common in physics and chemistry or maths and physics. And I found myself on many occasions sitting with four or five books open, trying to link them up and I used to wonder why, the, why don't the teachers discuss among themselves and come and tell us how these are linked. So at five, I mean in, in class five, I decided it was a very uh, serious decision when I was 10 years old. That when I grow up, I'm going to change the education system in this country so that when I am born in my next birth, I don't have to go through this again. And that was a serious resolve. But then idealism somehow fizzles out in our country very soon and livelihood mentality takes over, right? Which career should we choose so that we get a great job, CTCs and all of that. And this was the journey of the childhood and I think it should would resonate with everybody. And by the time I was 18, I was a confused individual with so many interests, so many likings, you know, nobody there to guide what should you do, what you should take up. And somehow uh, life leads you on and you stumble upon you know, one thing after the other. And I completed my master's in business administration after my physics honors and uh, so, so on and so forth. And then life went on and uh, I worked in the corporate sector for six years. On day one, I realized that I am not employee material. That I had a problem in my genes because I came from a family of entrepreneurs. And then what do you do? You have studied and uh, those were the days when you didn't have all these uh, incubators and startup funds and all of that. If you had to get into, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur, you had to have crores of rupees. So you decide to somehow go through that corporate thing for six years and at the end of which I called it a day and quit and set up an engineering company and by then it was a lot of maturity had come in. I had come to understand the value of interdisciplinary uh, you know, development of the mind. I had come to understand that one need not be a specialist to be a successful professional. I had read about Da Vinci who was many things and we all considered him successful. I had come to know about Sri Aurobindo's uh, education or integral education which talks about development of all aspects of your personality. And by then I had begun to see how different experiences, they actually help you see the world creatively and how you connect the dots better when you have done diverse things. And all of this I speak uh, in my TED talk which and that's when this opportunity to set up this university, Himalayan Institute of Alternatives came up. It was a chance to take a re-look at this entire education system which kind of tries to fit us into various, you know, uh, 
roles or ways of being which we are not. All of us are very multidimensional beings. And this whole specialization thing is a remnant of the industrial age where the main aim of the enterprise was not human evolution. It was not development of the human potential. It was to maximize productivity and efficiency. So if you had people learning new skills every day, it would affect the productivity of the whole you know, uh, the mass productivity. And that's when this whole specialization came into being. Where you were taken for a role if you had done it for 20 years because then you had mastered it. And we somehow continue the same uh, system even today, not in uh, organizations or institutes like NID, which from the very start had this philosophy of, you know, design and bringing different specialities and so on. The other thing which I learned along the way was that nature was the best teacher. And now it has this very fancy name called biomimicry or uh, you know, understanding the learning from the processes of nature. But many innovators like uh, Da Vinci and others, they used to spend a lot of time in nature because if I throw a piece of stone, it will take a straight line, which is expend minimum energy. So the way things happen in nature, it is very, very optimized. You know, the way uh, the fish are designed, you know, it's the most, um, the design is, and that's what has inspired the submarine design, right? Similarly, the birds have inspired the planes and so on. So spending a lot of time with nature, understanding nature, all these things which were missing in the education in which I grew up, I decided that Whenever there is an opportunity to set up an institute of excellence, these are the things that I would bring in. And that's when uh, Himalayan Institute of Alternatives, this opportunity came to set up. And these very things which were the issues I was struggling with, they are now the pillars of the education at Himalayan Institute of Alternatives. And I'll uh, touch upon those very briefly. So the first principle we follow there is education has to be contextual. It has to solve a contextual problem. You know, for instance, um, I was talking, telling uh, Tanishka also that I, we, when we see our actresses walk the red carpet at Cannes, I wonder why they also wear those off-shoulder gowns. You know, doesn't India have, uh, you know, uh, something that? that could be showcased in the world. Why do we copy uh, you know, those designs? Why don't we stand for what is authentically Indian? Because when, before this colonization happened, and the very reason colonization happened was because India had such diversity and richness of expression, you know, the richness of color. Every part of India is so diverse, you know, it is uh, in, in terms of food, clothing and everything. So, globalization is not having that same stale cheeseburger, right? Globalization is like an international buffet where you bring your best of what you stand for. And that is that uniqueness that we have to discover about who we are. And that is what we mean by contextual education. 
that an education that is rooted in the context because what we can touch and feel and experience is something we can impact, right? But again, that does not mean parochialism. It does not mean narrowness. It means abstracting from that context the learnings and having an ability to apply it in every other context. But that can only be done when one context has been properly studied. Like for instance, instead of teaching us about savannas, even at, you know, now when I go back to my birthplace, I still do not know what can I grow in my garden. But had they taught me how I can grow things in my garden, how you assess the soil and you assess the weather conditions and the water availability, then you can always recontextualize it to another context. So that is the first principle of our uh, uh, education at Hayas. So India lends itself to a lot of innovation in every field, be it contextual. You know? And we have to do that in clothing, in food already we have that, in our buildings. You know, and so on. So that is our first pillar of uh, our education there, contextual. The second, which I was also told is on the principles on which uh, NID was founded, is experiential learning, learning by doing. You know, Varela, the great educationist, he says that learning only happens in a lived experience. Unless something passes through the hands, it does not result in any true insight. And this kind of learning by doing uh, need not be only restricted to design schools. You know, even philosophy or history, it has to be immersive and experiential. And learning by doing is bringing your entire being into it. The hands, the heart and the head. It has to be immersed in the thing that you're solving. So all our courses have only 30% uh, classroom discussions, I think very much like yours, and 70% is practice-based. So it is not very common in the rest of the institutes in this country. So that is our second pillar. The third pillar is that India, unfortunately, because it got colonized, we, it led to a, some kind of a loss of self-respect and self-confidence in us. And today, even after 75 years, we are celebrating Azadi Ka Amrit Mahotsav. But somehow we are so dependent on Western innovation. We are always looking westward. So the third pillar of our education there is to look inward and backward. And backward is not a bad word because we have a very strong repertoire of indigenous wisdom. You know, there was something right with it as a civilization that we have. We are the only country in the world that has a 10,000 year of unbroken civilization. Something right we must have done in sustainability, in following regenerative practices, right? So we have to take the trouble to understand it's, I would say it is smarter to spend a whole summer with your grandparents and learn from them than to even do PhDs in Harvard, you know, if we want to really find out what our country was about. And that's what we do in uh, Hayal. Um, generally, it is considered that these uh, cement buildings are pakka buildings, you know, and uh, earth buildings are kacha. So, because of this uh, stigma, even though 70% of rural India lives in earth buildings, 
and even after 75 years we do not have a school of architecture devoted to earth architecture in this country you know, so we are just throwing the baby with the bath water and it has become aspirational even for village villagers to have this pakka house you know, but if you uh, study any pakka house cement house it does not you know survive for more than 60 or 70 years and whereas uh, the palaces which are made with mud in the dark and others have survived for 1500 years there is an exco site all exposed to elements now 1500 years in what way can you call it kachcha but we haven't invested enough to research that so that we can start using mud and that's the other thing we do at hayali we reverse engineer our indigenous practices and to study the material and the processes they follow and then blend it with modern technology so that we use the spirit of the past and give it the form of the present and the modern form without losing the spirit of the past so having to, uh, one of the purposes of education is to imbibe and hold on to that spirit of the past uh, the culture of which you represent so that is our third pillar and the fourth is that we try to make all our courses very interdisciplinary again as i said uh, this whole specialization and discipline was a result of the industrial age where you were supposed to be good in one field but the impact of that is everywhere to be seen you know all the side effects that we see is because we don't take a systemic approach to problem solving Like if you get a surgery done for one thing, it gives a side effect in another. Because the reality is composite, as human beings, our being is composite, so we cannot take a specialist solution uh, view. Mm. Now, for instance, uh, if one we a uh, school of ecology, it helps to rehabilitate villages that have been deserted. Villages have been deserted not because of one reason. They have been deserted because of several reasons. So, how can they be rehabilitated? So, problems like that need an interdisciplinary approach. So, our school of ecology first you know, tries to get water into that village, either by designing artificial reservoirs, particularized pipas, or other ways. And then our school of plantation researches, which trees and uh, you know, plants will grow there. They green it. then a school of architecture converts the buildings to passive solar buildings which can be even used in winter otherwise most people who can afford it they just leave ladakh and go to goa or jammu to spend the winters and those who are poor they suffer without proper heating so a school of architecture retrofits the uh, because ladakh also in the last 100 years had moved away from earth architecture and started building the cement buildings so we retrofit them into passive solar buildings again and then the school of tourism develops packages around it as edu tourism where tourists come and see how and learn it was the original purpose of tourism original uh, tourism started with when kings and others became kings they would be sent to far and wide to learn about best practices everywhere it's only after industrial revolution that tourism became a more bourgeois activity because you were so bored working that you wanted to go out for entertainment 
before that tourism was for education so we are trying to bring that back and you know how this so this is how a transdisciplinary approach is used and this year you'll be happy to know that after 15 years for the first time 1300 kilos of potatoes were grown in that village it had been deserted and people have had gone to the nearby villages and the final principle on which our university is based is that education should be free as per the gurukul system and it's only then it can become inclusive otherwise people who students who do not have money cannot afford it but then what do you pay what is your guru dakshina so you pay not with money but with your sweat and creativity so that makes it accessible to all so all our courses are free because we train our students to become entrepreneurs free thinkers social impact uh, workers and that can only be done when the university itself reflects those values so each of the uh, schools that we have has a attached enterprise arm to it and the, those that enterprise arm actually works on real life projects like a school of architecture gets orders from the army to build passive uh, solar buildings for them at very far flung places where it is very expensive and uh, hazardous to carry petrol and diesel and kerosene you know, to those places to keep the buildings warm and the profits or the surpluses of these enterprises run the institute and the students get paid as apprentices so that is our model so education is absolutely free to make it completely inclusive and some of the important pedagogical uh, tools we believe in is that to allow students to experiment and fail and that's something i want to tell you as design students that please make friendship with failure because it's only when you fail nine times that the tenth time will be a, a new innovation if we are right all the time we can make very good maybe employees or you know do walk the beaten path if we want to be always successful you know somehow we have been trained from childhood to come up with that one right answer at the end of the book but if that one right answer is right and you never look for other answers and innovation is always to say that the right answer is not that a fan has three wings but a innovative innovative mind will say why cannot it have four so when you do not have the right answers is when it is the beginning of innovation and it has been proven that cultures which have too much of success mania are very low on innovation you know the australian army for instance when it recruits uh, new soldiers one of the things they ask is how many times they have failed and how they have overcome it because they believe that talent can only open the first door but it is only when you can spring back repeatedly after failures that you can reach the end so trying is more important than failing or losing it is it's more courageous to try and fail rather than to be in comfort zone and to do only what is one knows is to be right so that's something we encourage we make we make mistakes we fail we allow students to fail and make mistakes because that's how we come up with new innovative things 
So these are some of the um, uh, points I wanted to touch upon about how a university is and what, what we are trying to do differently. And uh, we are exploring uh, larger collaborations with NID so that we have this 150 acres of land waiting to be, you know, um, worked upon, made mistakes on, on various projects. And we have a lot of new products to be designed. A team from here uh, was there to design a museum heritage interpretation center project. And uh, so we invite you and your uh, teachers and your management to collaborate and send your students. You're welcome to come there, you know, try your innovative ideas. We are very happy even if you fail. So there's no pressure to succeed. We value the effort that is put in, you know, and not the result, the intent behind it. And uh, you're most welcome to explore doing various projects there. And now maybe if there are any questions on what I said. The other thing I would like to add from my own experience is that I have come to believe that there are no careers, fixed careers that you have to design yourself to fit into. Each of you, I, I believe, that each of you can make your own careers by bringing all the different aspects of your skills and personalities. How do you overcome the challenges uh, which are there, which comes because of the parents like living in that area, the orthodox children? Like how do you convince them for the for convince them for joining the school? Yeah, so a lot of uh, students uh, when they come for career counselling, I tell them jokingly, half jokingly, but even half seriously. That it's not you who need counselling, but your parents. <laughs> and the only counselling I would like to give the parents is that please let your kids be. Because your responsibility ends when they are 14. You know, you should do all that work when they are in the womb of the mother. You give them the right environment and all of that till they are 14. After that, every right-thinking child who has been brought up with a lot of exposure develops sufficient responsibility to know one himself or herself and it's okay to even let them make mistakes there's no full stop in life life itself is not a full stop in indian philosophy we have many lives so it's okay even if one life goes and has a mistake you know but if the mistake is your own not somebody else's imposed so that's for the parents but what do you do i would say you should stay firm but sweet Okay. I don't think you should try to make anybody happy, please anybody happy, be teachers or parents or society at large. Because finally, when you are fulfilled and happy, everybody will be happy. You know, but if you try to please somebody today, short term, then eventually you will not be happy. So Indian education system had this... Uh, concept that the purpose of education was to find out your own swadharma which today we know by the famous Japanese word ikigai right people in Okinawa the island uh, they live for 100 years and more when because they live their ikigai and ikigai or your swadharma is something you never retire from and how do you find out your swadharma it is 
what is it that you want to get up in the morning and do whether or not you get recognized for it whether or not you get money for it and yet that is something you want to get up and do in the morning you know that's your swadharma and please follow that because even if it is not making money today eventually it will bring you both money and fame and i'm saying it from experience not just my own but several of my friends so i have both the examples when i graduated from mba many of my friends uh, we all like joined this deloitte and all this and many of them have reached the position of partners you can't get better than that and at 45 what is truly called midlife crisis they have quit and they are doing stuff like triathlon or theater imagine if they had the courage to take that up at 21 today they would be an they would have been either amita bachchan or something else right if they had picked up theater at 21 so instead of having a midlife crisis at 45 because somebody was not confident that he could take that beaten path non beaten path or you know stand up to society or parents but eventually you would do it at 45 in any case so better do it today because jisko khush hona usko hona jisko nahi hona nahi hona you can't please everybody okay, so and i'll tell you a secret about parents if they know that you are steadfast See, अगर उनकी बात मान के यू चेंज योर सेल्फ इट मीन्स यू वर एंड सो कॉन्फिडेंट अबाउट इट एनी वेज एंड इफ यू आर सो कॉन्फिडेंट अबाउट इट दे विल फाइनली लेट यू बी सो दैट्स माई एडवाइस डू नॉट सेक्रीफाइस हु यू आर फॉर एनी बडी बट नॉट एज अ रिबेल बट वेरी स्वीटली सो वॉट आर योर थॉट्स ऑन द नेशनल एजुकेशन पॉलिसी ट्वेंटी ट्वेंटी So I was advising the Maharashtra International Education Board, uh, and uh, I was felicitated by the government there, where Prakash Javadkar and Devendra Fadnavis happened to be there. And after that award ceremony, a team we were having this chat, and they were asking what we were doing, and we were trying to set up an Indian IB, like an international baccalaureate, but Indian, because I had headed an IB school and. done a lot of workshops and i while it is one of the best curriculum today but i felt how we can make it better by having the indian input so i shared that with prakash javadkar and he liked it very much and uh, he wrote a mail to me later to can share that whole thing with me and i sent him the entire document and to my happy surprise i see many of those ideas reflected in the lec Uh, but without um, the acknowledging it which is very uh, characteristic of the government but uh, having said that uh, it is a great uh, policy but any policy is as good as its execution and uh, like you can't just say multidisciplinary higher education but how do you do it so that's where uh, we need uh, the government to maybe partner with all of practitioners and to uh, learn how to execute it and implement it actually otherwise it remains a piece of paper and there's no change in the ground but as a policy it's a much needed uh, improvement we have still way to go but at policy level because i also teach policy i know that how difficult it is to change things especially in a country like india with huge momentum 
but it is definitely a thing in the right direction is what i think you know acknowledging mother tongue as you know also a medium of expression uh, there's a lot of positive things about it i want to know what what does it take to start such an institution such a school apart from identifying and like figuring out the ideology that you want to work on but what are the challenges to start such an institute one and are there any incubator uh, incubation centers as you said that there are many right now but in in, in this uh, sector also are there any incubation centers for to help others start something like this so what it takes to start such a thing is madness <laughs> because um, From plus thirty-five to in Chennai to minus thirteen, Lada. I don't think any right-minded person would make that move. Um, but uh, it takes all you have actually. Uh, it cannot be a part-time thing. You have to give it your all. And there aren't many incubators, but you can have several partners. Uh, Like the government has partnered with us to give us the land, and now we are partnering with a lot of actually international uh, centers of excellence and you know, educational institutes to share best practices, knowledge uh, transfers, and so on. Uh, there are no precedents that we have, uh, especially like not charging fee to the students and running enterprises. Uh, so we, I studied the whole the world, uh, you know, university setup, and there aren't any universities that do not charge students and are yet sustainable. So we do not have precedents um, in many things. Like we do not have a precedent in how a university can do research and prototype, involve students and teach, and scale it up into an enterprise. So generally. Um, enterprise is absolutely missing in universities uh, even academics and uh, research there are two different kinds of universities in india research universities and academic so here we are combining academics research and entrepreneurship so the challenges are humongous because you don't have professionals who can teach from the field practitioners who should be the teachers and if you go and uh, become part of ugc then you have a whole set of limitations And day before yesterday, I was at UGC, and the person himself was saying how UGC is designed in a way that it does not produce top universities in the world. He himself was saying, but he says, "What can we do?" So now, uh, choices like should we therefore align with the UGC or not? On the one hand, we have students who are more uh, confident with your UGC certified university. So. Yeah, it is takes a lot, and if you are in that space, then you also become a person who is also an activist in change. For instance, when we make these earth buildings in India, we do not have codes for those earth buildings because the wall bearing structures uh, they do not have codes. So we are working with the ECBC to bring those codes. So you're working on many fronts. It's very tough. About twelve to fourteen hour a day job, but one um, gift at the end of it is you sleep very well and very fulfilled. And I don't see the impact of it uh, very early, but anything which has been meaningful has always taken fifty years at least for the world to catch up. 
but then it's a choice uh, whether you want to fit into something as a cog in the wheel or you want to be a backpacker alone walking so it's a choice and i think one should do what makes one happy my question is uh, like how do we nurture individual well-being uh, in a collective setup because you know when we have group goals and we know that there are individuals with different capacities and you know different choices how do we align them to achieve a collective goal so well-being or health in sanskrit uh, it's called swast you know if you break swast it means swastha Swoy is to be stationed in. Swoy is oneself. So when you are stationed in yourself, or you are doing or expressing who you are, it is well-being. Whenever we try to be somebody else, that is stress, anxiety, all the problems. And especially in a group, any good group needs multi-talented people. You need somebody who can ideate, somebody who can execute, somebody who is you know good in something somebody in another so that is where all winning teams are made so when the teams are made it has to be uh, with the complementary skills and the complementary skills one identify that as one goes along unfortunately uh, this is the purpose of education as i said to find out who you are and express that in the world but our education is more towards filling us with information and it is left to our individual pursuit to find that out but there are several uh, exercises and awareness self awareness techniques uh, by which one can find out one's strengths and um, some of the pointers are that it is as i said something you want to get up in the morning and jump out of bed for then something that is your very um, something you love doing does not make you even at 11 in the night you'll find yourself full of energy if you've done that during the day and whether you get appreciated by the outside world or not you find an inner fulfillment you know there is effortlessness in what you're doing so these are some of the indicators of what we are good at and many times we kind of fit into what Maybe who we are, the society is looking for at that time, and that's what makes for initial great careers. Sometimes we are different. There is a time spirit, uh, and we may not be that today. Maybe our time is yet to come in ten years. But to have that faith and to wait for the right time, and yet to start building yourself. is i think maturity and for that one has to have your own matrices of success not go by the society's matrices that at 21 you should have an mnc job at 25 you should have this car and at 28 so those are the stress uh, factors have your own inner matrices of success certain jobs require a nationally or otherwise an institutionally recognized degree as a base requirement to start that job and as far as come across many of institutions such institutions that provide an alternative form of education as long as they are not recognized that degree does not remains unrecognized so for students like these what are the opportunities that are provided to them or at least are they equipped with something that allows them to continue to move forward just like any other citizen so 
we uh, take responsibility of the students and incubate their ideas and uh, for instance uh, we have currently a student of tourism who set up a company and then ayar becomes the first customer you know and ensures that uh, whatever they need is uh, being met Huh? A part of it is fixed, and a part of it is a percentage of the revenue. And identifies their talents, and now we plan to give them sweat equity in larger uh, things that we do. Similarly, there are some students who want to go back to their villages and start a school, like Sek Mall or other things. Again, they are supported. So both with uh, mentorship as well as financial assistance, uh, and that's why I was here today with your incubation team to understand more about it. Because currently we are self-funding all these things, but I was told a lot of schemes the government has uh, to help in that uh, thing. So we are looking at uh, the university as not a thing you come in and go out after your degree, but as a community which is like a safety net for you. so that you are supported till you have developed sufficient roots and confidence in your idea so that is something we try to do and also provide skills like in in our one year fellowship for instance when we are teaching about the companies like there are section 8 and society and all we are not just giving a theoretical knowledge by the time that module is over each of the uh, students has actually incorporated a company and then when we are teaching business plan again they are making the business plan of their idea in our leadership for instance when students have a big idea we call it and the whole purpose of both sekmol and hayal is in that one year in give you enough opportunity and suffuse you with so much confidence and make you succeed in a few ventures despite several failures that you can then go out and try things on your own you know so um, there are several examples uh, of students who have set up their radio tourism businesses and uh, several other things which uh, so one there was a girl who wanted to um, set up a safe space for people of all backgrounds to be able to uh, express themselves so she was hired as a life skills coordinator now in hr and she has been assigned this task of making khayal that space safe space you know which many universities are not because of an organization so that there is transparency in communication and all of that and she is very touched because that was an idea outside people didn't even understand what she was talking about you know what is this safe space thing so there are um, several such ideas which are very idealistic which a normal angel or a vc investor would not understand but we find that value in that so right from very commercial ideas which we support if they are confident to these up to 2 to 3 years we support that idea till and make them uh, see uh, you know confidence and success in what they are doing So we are still very young. This is our second year, despite the pandemic. This year, 66 of our students convocated, and more than half of them. And it is instilled during the course in them 
that going out and getting a job in Dubai or New York is not success for us. That is failure. Because you leave your motherland behind that nurtured you, that needs you. And you're using your brain. Unless you're doing something that India does not have, some research. But not for a selfish reason for higher livelihood. No? So it is instilled into them to go back to their villages and to make a change. A lot of students do that. A lot of our students who are ice hockey players and coaches at the national level, right now they would all be, instead of going out and playing for other clubs, they have all gone back to their villages and they're training youngsters in ice hockey. And we support those things financially. Uh, yes, you mentioned my second question, which was in terms of, so most of these seem to have an entrepreneurship bias. So, for uh, what about things, what if a student per se wanted to pursue something in pure sciences in a field that Hayal does not personally deal with, say a researcher into marine biology, something like that. That being the case, how would say this just support them for their future venture? So, uh, we, um, one good thing about Hayal is we enjoy a lot of goodwill across India and the world amongst uh, a lot of universities and even though Ladakh is very far flung but you find more experts and people who visit us. So we have a very wide network of uh, institutions and organizations and even for a project we get them mentors from across the world. Letters of recommendations and all they are supported with that. Hi. So uh, I had this, uh, like once I had been to a wildlife sanctuary and there were many communities living in there. So I, uh, I, 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 I lived with them for around 44 days and tried to understand what their life is. And then, Hello? So uh, then uh, I tried to understand how their lifestyle is and uh, as I explored it, I saw um, many olden structures which were, as you say, uh, earth architecture but there was a shocking thing that there were only few left and uh, many of Papa houses were built. So when I tried to uh, have conversation with the local people there, at that time I understood that there's uh, this government policy which gives subsidy for Papa houses and they don't give subsidy for Kacha houses. So um, that was their concern point. And for us, uh, being sensitive, it's a different concern. So, um, and even on the other hand, that it, it is easy for us to like, give solutions by sitting here, uh, trying to uh, like, analyze it from a distance. But it, on the larger terms, it's very difficult to understand what real life problems they have. So how do you think can we um, like, make a wider audience sensitive towards this concern which is happening which they don't even think about. So that is why our first principle is we are uh, a very contextual university because we say that we do not know uh, actual problems of other regions because you know in design the first thing about design ethnography is to empathize with the people you are designing things for not as an outsider but an insider and that is the reason we call ourselves a very mountain context university because that's the context we try to understand before we give solutions. And how we do it for the rest of the country is that 
we speak about it in forums or like with Ministry of Tribal Affairs, we did this entire project of how what they call tribal, you know, is not, tribal is not equal to backward. In fact, tribal is more forward in terms of living in harmony with nature, sustainability and all of that. So we have been working with them to design an education for them and to sensitize the government also about these policies. Like you spoke about the subsidy, a similar thing, it's called maybe killing with love. So what they did to Ladakh also was subsidize rice from Punjab was distributed for free and very subsidized rates and the locals then stopped growing barley. And it's not a very uh, good thing. So enlightened policy making is uh, something that uh, is very, very important. And that's why we have uh, the School of Public Governance. Even in January, we are starting a course in public leadership where the bureaucrats and the ministers and uh, young people will be a part of that. So in a country like India and in a democracy, you need this two-way approach. You know, one is enlightened policy making and then enlightened grassroots level demands. So educating the people to ask for the right things. And that education is important and enlightened policy making. And that's where I think universities can play that role of bridging. On one hand, the youth, empowering it through education, asking. Because whatever you ask, if you ask for uh, free rice and uh, this thing, government will give you that because it is not concerned with what you want. It is concerned with whether to be elected again. But if you empower the youth and make them ask the right things, like identity, or you know that indigenous practices, wisdom, education that is meaningful, then the government would be forced to give that and policymakers would look into it. So I'll give you this example that you said that a similar thing happened when I visited JSLMA. There is this whole system of collecting water in Khadims. Uh, it only rains for a week, it's a desert. And unlike the desert of Ladakh, which at least has the streams. In Jaisalmer, it's only rain they're depending on. There's no streams also. There's only that one week of rain and for the whole year. And we met this Chhatra Singh. There's a TED talk on him. He has found a way to make, identify natural depressions and make water bodies around it. And in that one week, they collect water enough to grow gram which they sell uh, for 5 crore, which is enough for the whole village to survive for the whole year. But policy, when government came in, they did not try to understand the context and made this canal from Satlij, like 100 kilometers. And half the time, those are broken and uh, there's sand in them because you know, there's no water. And I was wondering that what would happen when the generation of Chhatra Singh goes after two or three generations, we would forget that. And so it's towards that end that we have this initiative that we want to document all this indigenous wisdom, which was in water management, in agriculture, in restoration, in architecture, which the people knew. And so we need a nationwide initiative to document those practices.
and have that humility that uh, tribals of India have a certain innate you know, uh, connect with nature and understanding. And uh, we need people who document this this knowledge. We try to do that in the talk and uh, hope that others would see inspiration to it in the rest of it. Right. Um, that's all we have time for. Thank you for your amazing questions and uh, Gitanjali for sharing your, uh, your nice journey, your thoughts uh, with us today. I think uh, uh, um, just before we sign off, I'll, I'll thank you to Bhati team for uh, doing Instagram live. Uh, I am very happy that I could talk to you. I hope you got something out of this. And uh, I think this one takeaway is that enjoy your journey. I think life takes care of itself. Enjoy what you do. Bring your best to it. Just be better. Try to be better than you were yesterday. Not vis-a-vis anybody else. That's the competition that should suffice. To be better than who you were yesterday. It's okay whatever the neighbors are doing or others are doing. And enjoy in those little incremental improvements every day. And whenever there is something outside that stops at your heart strings, give it a try. You may be walking in a you know, art gallery and you may want to try out watercolor. Do it. It need not be towards any end. You know? It's better to try and fail than to regret after 50 years is I wish I had done it. It's better to do it, try it. And who knows, at the cross-section of these interests, something new may come up. You may be all you know, coming up with new disciplines at the intersection of the various interests that you have. Something like biotechnology never existed few years ago. How could biology and technology come together? Somebody, you know, but somebody did bring it together, right? So if you're a somebody, textile designer and a poet, it's not something unrelated. Who knows, some discipline can come up, right? At the intersection of poetry and textile design. Who knows? So give it a try. All your talents. Something beautiful is awaiting you. Thank you.